Hey, folks, I'm Tom. And this is Keith. And uh, you should know that by now if you're listening to this very program. We talk a lot about the Dunlap Champions Club. Often it has to do with football season, but the season is over. It's in the rearview mirror. But very important note here, don't put the Dunlap Champions Club in the rearview mirror. One of Tallahassee's largest event spaces, the Champions Club is quickly becoming the go-to place for charity functions, meetings, and events located on the fourth floor. Champions Club consists of an east area, a west area, or you can buy them featuring floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking Bobby Bowden Field, providing a spectacular view for all of your guests. We've been there. We've done it. It's worth it. Great event space. Uh, if the fourth floor doesn't suit your needs, there's also the sixth floor, whether it's the southeast terrace or the southwest terrace. Regardless of configuration uh, or number of folks, the Dunlap Champions Club, a great uh, event space and can accommodate your needs. For more information, Mr. Jones? Let's see. You should call the FSUChampionsClub.com. Excuse me. FSUChampionsClub.com do you website. Call, do you call the website or do you, you just log into you the You call the number. Oh, what's the number? The number is 644-1830 or, again, online, FSU championsclub.com he's keith i'm tom we're done broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is front row knowles with tom block and keith jones front row knowles is brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu now here's tom and keith Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you once more. Keith is living out of a suitcase these days. Had to come home and get some clean underwear. Happy to share that with our listeners. That's too much information indeed. You were in Charlotte last week for five days, spending plenty of time in Hartford, which is to say you're not in Jacksonville, which would have been much easier and better for all involved, perhaps. There you go. Well, maybe not for Vermont, but for all involved with Florida State. We'll see. I was not that bitter overall about the way the bracket unfolded for florida state i was a little bit surprised but that said dialing it way back to when we started conference season keith my mindset all along was just go nine and nine in the league maybe get the 10 and eight get in the tournament don't worry about it and then all of a sudden lo and behold they just kept winning and winning and winning and the next thing you know we want to make the case for a number two seed i think by the way don't don't tell the nine and nine will get you into the department uh, to the uh, tournament to uh, NC State. They won't like hearing that. But but Florida State had a good non conference schedule, Agreed. better than NC State. So I thought that might get them there. We don't have to worry about that though. No point, point being, I, yeah, could they have been a three seed? Yeah, uh, my bigger beef would be that you probably should have put them in Jacksonville. But whatever, you got to win games. That's what's next. Exactly, and and the way it sets up, uh, I mean, you're playing a Vermont team that on paper. Uh, I haven't looked at any tape yet, but on paper, um, you know, is very respectable. Uh, you get an opportunity probably against Marquette if you get past Vermont, and then you got uh, you're in the you're in the uh, the one with Gonzaga, and and fortunately you played them last year, you beat them. You know you can do that. Different year, different team. I get that, but um, it's not a not a bad draw. Not a bad draw. We'll wait and see. Of course, as soon as you start mapping things out on paper, everything goes awry. That's what always I find interesting. There's all this lead up to who's going to be the number one seeds. And then that conversation lasts from Sunday at 6 until Tuesday when the games start. And then by the end of the first weekend, one of the one seeds has lost, uh, or if hasn't lost, has been challenged. Anyway, just the, the games take away from that off-court conversation. They do. And, and I think that is what is also so great about the tournament that uh, you know, you can have a 16 finally beat a 1, which had never happened before until last year. Uh, you can have a bunch of uh, 12s upset in 5s. Uh, I think I saw a statistic somewhere where the 
it's uh, 124 and 48 to the fives, but that means that 48 times a 12 is beating a five. La di da di da. It's just you know you got you got to play every game or go home, and every game's a new opportunity. And that's the way Florida State will treat this. I thought that they certainly represented themselves well the last six weeks, eight weeks, and the ACC tournament surprised, I think, even Florida State faithful. I don't know many folks that thought FSU was going to handle Virginia. The Virginia At Te- least the way they did. The Virginia Tech game, those teams are equally matched. Virginia Tech's been without a key player, and they ended up as a four seed too. But Florida State takes both of them. I just think that th- the thing about this team, and we've seen it all year, Keith, is it's just a different – Leonard says we win by committee – it is true. It's a different guy all the time. Different guys have been heroes. The other night it was Vassell and, and Mann, and then Mann does nothing the next night in terms of scoring. Right. He doesn't ever do nothing because he does so many other things, and somebody else steps up, and that's what makes it a challenge for Florida State. And they are tournament-tested, more experienced. All that's on the good side. If you were lining up the other side, you would say, but now there's a target on their back, and people are tired of hearing about or they've heard about athleticism and length. And if you're Gonzaga, you've been annoyed for a year that this team out-physicaled you if you want to look that far ahead. And you know that uh, FSU struggles offensively against the zone. So even if you're not a zone team, you might play a little bit of it. Uh, You know you've got to keep Florida State from running. So instead of dropping two, you might drop three and give up a little bit on the defensive glass, uh, offensive glass rather, to keep them out of transition. You know the things to do. Uh, in order to try to combat that athleticism and that length. And there'll be no surprises. Everybody will be well-coached and schooled on what they need to do. It'll be fun. This is always – there's something about the edge that goes with win or go home, which is part of what made last year so fun. That along with the fact that nobody expected Florida State to do that. If you just think back two years ago – the tournament was a disappointment. Oh, Leonard underachieved because they didn't get to the Sweet 16 with Isaac and, and that bunch. Last year, overachieved. You were this close to the final the, the final four. So this year, if you don't make it to the second weekend, unfortunately, it's going to be viewed as underachieved, which isn't really fair. That's just the way the tournament works. Well, and the other rationalization, and this is a rationalization about uh, explaining away Jacksonville. You remember two years ago when you were a higher seed and you did have the players, you were in Orlando. Well, two years later, you could have been in Jacksonville. You're not. You're in Hartford. So maybe that's just the way it was and the way it's supposed to be because when you play close to home, sometimes you don't play well. You would know because you've been traveling with the team a lot. I feel like the years that Florida State – several of the years Florida State's had a deep tournament run, they've done it going out west, which is what happened last year. Remember one of the years with – and this is going way back – Charlie Ward and Bob Sura, the team was out in Boise and then played New Mexico. That was at least a Sweet 16 year. Well, and what was interesting because Deckerhoff and I were talking about that because you've always got to be prepared for someone saying we're not going home. You know, you're out there and you're going to stay out there. Uh, That particular year when they did stay out there, they actually sent Charlie home because remember he had a bad shoulder. So he had to come home and have rehab for three or four days before they got flew him back out to the second site. Uh, I'm going to tell him something wrong with my shoulder. I want to come home. Yeah, packing for Hartford and Anaheim right now, that's kind of two different climates. Well, I'm not worried about Hartford and Anaheim, but I'm worried about getting to Anaheim and not wanting to come back before they go to Minneapolis. Understand. We'll cross that bridge if we get there. If that's the bridge that needs to be crossed, we'll all send you some money and you can go shop for some clothes. The good news is if we get to Minneapolis at this time of year, I won't have to worry about not knowing how to work the heaters 
in the public transportation I was system. just going <laughs> to ask if you wanted to share our Minneapolis story now or you wanted to wait. Uh, you, you go ahead. Tell no, a short no, version. No, no, no. We'll just call that a tease. All right. All right. We'll wait. We'll, we'll wait. We'll, we'll get back to that at some point. Football continues to go on. It's really been interesting the last couple of years as Florida State has made these runs and been into the NCAA tournament that all of a sudden baseball and football get moved to the back burner. Normally we'd be talking football 24-7. Is anything – and our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us in a little bit. We'll pick his brain about football. Well, the one thing that's caught me, and I say this tongue-in-cheek because it's the time of year, but evidently we have the number one offensive line in the country now. <laughs> I mean, if you read all of the stories coming out, they have made a complete transformation, and they are 179 degrees different than they were last year. Obviously, that's not the, the case, but I, I do think, and, and we've talked about this, that you know, there's two things I want to see in the spring game. I want to see them running plays quickly and knowing what they're doing, and, and I want to see them not having the, the pre-snap issues and all that. I don't care if uh, – they've got to find a way to be efficient in whatever they're doing. If that's five plays, if that's 55 plays, whatever it is, let's get some efficiency. Let's look like we know what we're doing. And I'll be happy uh, with the spring scrimmage, spring game. I want to go back to something a guest of ours said when he was on the show. I'm going to guess it was late September, maybe after the Syracuse game, maybe a week later. But we had former Seminole center and now Dr. David Castillo on, who was around the program as long as Phil Kofer has been along the bas- around the basketball program. Uh, six years, right? And got, and got hands that are about as messed up as Kofer's feet. But the point was, we we talked a lot about line play but in terms of the offensive transition david said at that time and this was three or four games into last season i don't remember we could go back and look it up it takes 18 months to get comfortable with an install you got to go through the spring you got to go through a season you got to go through another spring so here we are at that point they're not through with spring and everything is being attributed to Bryles and and new coaches and none of it's being attributed to maybe there is something to just being in the system a little bit longer well we just don't want to admit that i mean it it can't be that complicated it can't be that hard Uh, but obviously david would know and and obviously apparently it is i'm not saying that the new coaches haven't helped but i am just suggesting that maybe there's something to his point and i would agree unfortunately so that spring football game is going to conflict as we've pointed out with fsu's appearance in the final four actually that saturday would be the semifinal game uh, and um, I, I've I've been told I've been instructed I've received my 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 orders that if it works out I I will be in Minneapolis I will not be in Tallahassee. Be a and good one. Uh, Emerson Eugene will be with me as well. It'd be a good problem to have. Exactly. If it comes down to that. Uh, we'll we'll obviously talk in greater detail about Florida State basketball. The Knowles play tomorrow at two. We'll all be on edge, especially if that game at halftime is you know thirty to twenty eight. I mean, if you look at the way FSU has played, and this is part of the win by committee. A lot of the games are pretty tight at halftime, and then that depth takes over in the second half. And I and I kind of for the of thought, sake of all of us, can we just win one by twenty five tomorrow? That would be nice, wouldn't it? I kind of thought that might happen against Duke because you know Duke Duke ended up with no bench points. They played three kids off of the bench, but all of their points came from their starters, and all of their starters played twenty five, twenty seven minutes, with the exception of Zion and 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 Barrett and and Joe. Jones, I guess it is, uh, they played 39 or 40 minutes. You would think, you know, somebody would get worn out in that process, but but it didn't happen. 
And uh, that that was quite telling as well. Duke, Duke. It's not like this is new, though. Coach yeah. K's oh, had no. a short There's bench no forever. There's I mean, no he's question. played seven. We've talked about that being a potential. Duke has the same two, uh, you know, negatives, if you want to make it. It's that their bench is short that they have every year. And that if they're not hitting threes, you wonder, could they advance? But this year's team hasn't hit threes all, all season. year. Except for when they were in the Tucker Center and ripped Florida State's heart. Other than that... They haven't made threes all year, so if they struggle in the tournament, who knows? I do wonder this. I, I feel I feel like, and I'm curious, you were there. I don't know how many of the other games you watched. And again, I see things through garnet and gold eye, uh, you know, glasses, and I'm not watching every other game or charting anything. Did you think the officiating was fair? Yes, but it was very physical. The game against Virginia Tech, you could almost call that a football game. And uh, I think that also wore on Florida State in the Duke game. Because Duke, I mean, Zion Williamson is is all that and then something. I mean, if you only we only got to see him play, you know, what eighteen, seventeen minutes in Tallahassee. He played thirty nine minutes in Charlotte, and he 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 is all that and then some. His his length, his his explosiveness, his hands, his coordination, his body control. I mean, he's everything that everybody talked about. Well, they let you play physical. That's no no question. They let you play physical in the tournament. So my point was. There have been some years, and I don't think this year's Duke team is one of them because they've got a starting NBA team out there pretty much. There have been years, uh, well, pretty much every year, Duke is going to get a favorable whistle at home. They always have that stat about Duke's attempted more or made more free throws than the other teams attempted. But sometimes when you get in the NCAA tournament, that whistle balances out a little bit more. Uh, I was just curious your take from being there. No, I thought I'm, I'm, I'm I thought not it was suggesting very fair. that FSU got no, no. hosed the other night. I thought all. it was just, very fair. Uh, I mean, you didn't see anybody in extreme foul trouble uh, almost the entire uh, tournament. You know what I did this past weekend, Keith? I'm going to say no. I, no, you don't know? No, I don't know. Or no, I did nothing? I, well, went, I would go with that first. I went to Madison Social on Sunday night as the uh, brackets were unveiled. So I could uh, – So, and this is a true story – I was I was with Laura and Coach Ham comes in and we weren't in the main room with the team and he sees us sitting in the bar he says you hang out here <laughs> and I thought well occasionally coach but not every Sunday night at this time I am here because your team's here I just needed a quick point of clarification I'm not Norm or Cliff or whoever anyway go to Madison Social it's your official uh, away game watch party location you'll need another excuse uh, excuse letter. Find a, find a way. Just bring. Go ahead and type up the letter and have somebody there sign it for you while you're at Madso tomorrow watching the game. There you go. Okay, we'll come back, talk some more basketball. We are just getting cranked up here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back, Florida State, on the eve of March Madness. Back in the tournament again, 2 o'clock tip tomorrow. We're really pleased, as always, uh, when we have a chance to talk to Associate Head Coach Stan Jones to uh, open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline. And I'll remind you, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Coach Stan, how are you, sir? Doing well, 
well, you know, running on a little bit of fumes this time of the year with uh, games coming so fast and quick preparations, especially for teams that you you know you haven't seen. Sometimes when you get in league play, even though you do a lot of work, you you have a familiarity with each other, you played each other, and so you kind of are able to do things. But when you get into the NCAA tournament, it's a uh, as I told our guys, it's, uh, we're basically playing one game tournaments right now. And you got to be one and zero to advance to the next tournament, and it's, and it's people we haven't seen, especially early in the tournament. And so we've we've got to get our guys really bought into understanding uh, the uh, what we're going against tomorrow in Vermont. How do you so looking at how you would do the scout for that? Because you don't know who you're going to play until we know. So is the video coordinator just recording games of the top hundred teams in the country that might make the tournament? I mean, how do you get Vermont tape? on the fly when you needed to start breaking it down well we've got to bring you guys up out of the dark ages you know that we don't do tape anymore and, <laughs> well uh, yeah but that's to... <laughs> that's an expression i know we don't do tape anymore everybody refers it to that way but and we don't even we, we don't even have to, to video it ourselves now there are so many uh programs now in the technological world where you know you pay for services and you can immediately go in and start pulling up games of, uh, of and statistical analysis already done by some people of certain things that I'm not always a huge fan of that because you don't know who's putting the input in on what they're trying to analyze. I really kind of like to analyze on what I think is important for what we do, but it is a service you can get into and start, you know, grinding out some nuts and bolts pretty quickly uh, on, on your opponents. You're going to be where back in the day, you're trying to, uh, call up services and call up people that are other schools and get people to put videotapes on Delta Dash and, or having managers drive and meeting people halfway and stuff. Uh, it has gotten a little bit more uh, accessible quickly than it used to be. But, Stan, even with that technology, uh, just maybe as a percentage, you know, how, how much more time do, will you have to spend on Vermont than if you were playing NC State again? Um, I mean, it's the first time around, even with NC State, it's going to be the same amount of time. You're going to watch the same amount of games. You're going to follow the same procedures that we, we like to do on studying when they've played really well, when teams have beaten them, uh, against teams that uh, play similar to our style. So we can have a feel for how they function in those environments and what we need to try to take away and uh, then kind of cross-check with each other. And, and uh, the coach with the scout, which I have in this case, the Vermont scout then uh, bring it to the staff and, and talk it out and make sure we're all uh, seeing the same things. Um, so after I've kind of narrowed it down and when it's coach Gates or coach young scout, they, when they've narrowed it down, we all sit down and kind of take all of our experiences over all the, uh, the veteran time we have on the staff to make sure we're as best prepared as we can be. Now, the, the good thing about getting Vermont yeah, and the, the good thing about having uh, David Nichols on our team this year. David has played uh, in the uh, America East for the last three years and has played these guys like like seven times in the three years he was at Albany. So I've uh, been able to kind of, as soon, as soon as we were heard the announcement, he and I were talking on the uh, uh, porch of the uh, establishment yesterday. He was kind of starting to tell me a little bit what he remembered them liking to do and a little bit about their personnel. And, uh, and then uh, he actually came by my office this morning and we, we talked to you a little bit again, and I showed him a few things I was pulling out if he recognized it. And so that uh, that doesn't do that much for me as it does when players uh, hear it from their peers. It sometimes gives them a little more meaning when David will be able to speak up and say, hey, this guy really is really good at this, and we need to make sure we take this away from him because I've been on the lo- losing end of this team. Uh, it it, uh, it kind of makes them sit up and listen 
a little bit more effectively. Let's go back a couple, three days and talk just a minute about the uh, uh, the ACC tournament. Uh, first game against Virginia Tech, unbelievably physical, very, very physical team. Uh, you beat the number one, ends up being a number one seed in Virginia, and you, you stay close with Duke. Uh, they they just they've got some horses. They they are the Duke uh, as always. What what was your what's the staff takeaway from what you accomplished up in Charlotte? Well, really really proud of our guys. They're really locking in this time of the year. This is the time of the year that last year starts to pay dividends for you, uh, and the guys have some reference point now of uh, the the environment, the travel, uh, the competition, uh, and the and the feelings they had last year. Both the extremely high highs that they had and the extremely low moment they had after we lost to Michigan in the Elite Eight last year. So they uh, uh, that's a real positive for us right now uh, in, in terms of being able to use that, whereas in, in other years when you first are getting in and your kids have not experienced it, uh, it doesn't, uh, you know, they have to learn to, to function uh, in the environment. And so that's that was a real positive, you know, uh, not to make excuses, you know, but I thought, you know, Duke, having kind of a blowout game in the first round game and us having to battle so hard with a very good Virginia tech team. who was ranked 14th in the country at that time. And, uh, is, is going to be a problem for people in their bracket in the NCAA tournament, especially when we get uh, Justin back and that uh, having Justin Robinson back, who I think would have been a first or second team, all ACC player. If he doesn't, if he hadn't uh, hurt his foot, uh, probably the same way we, 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 we done with Phil. Phil was probably, Phil Colfer is probably a, an all ACC player this year too. If he doesn't, uh, have the uh, misfortune of his injury, but uh, and then turn around and playing a Virginia team that, as you know, for 40 minutes, and our kids knew that it's going to be a grind. They're going to make you defend. They're going to make you execute at a high level, and they want to try try to make you have more mistakes than they have. And our guys really kind of understood that, and I thought that was one of our better performances against against a really good Virginia Cavalier team of. Uh, defending them and making uh, them get away from some of their strengths at key moments of the game. And then also really understanding the, uh, uh, the little nuances of their quote unquote, uh, famous pack line defense that, that we were able to kind of get more penetration and better shot opportunities. than maybe any other time, even when we beat them up at their place, when Dwayne Bacon hit the, uh, the, the game winner up in Charlottesville a couple of years ago, uh, he had a big game of 29, but we had a more complete well-rounded, offensive game plan against them. And you know, I thought we played really well starting the first part of the Duke game. We were in a great spot. Uh, I think if we could have kept that lead or extended that lead, but instead of being tied at halftime, it would have given us a little bit more juice. And then, you know, they came out. You could tell that, the, you know, they came out with a sense of urgency starting the second half. And they were up five with about six or seven minutes to go. And we had four or five straight stops in a row on defense. And, we we just had we had four empty possessions there that if we had scored on those possessions and for the most part they were really good looks we missed the only free throw in a one on we only missed one free throw happened to be a one and one in that situation for MJ Walker uh, and then uh, Fiondu missed a little two two footer that just hit off the back of the rim and rolled out and uh, Trent Forrest missed a really good floater in the lane and then MJ missed a three and if we score there I think. Uh, the energy comes back uh, into our legs that you're, you're that's starting to expire at that point in a tournament, uh, and allows you to kind of push through. And then when we didn't score, and then they they hit one, and, and uh, I think they got a dunk on us, and that energizes them. You know, kind of gave them the momentum to to you know kind of put us away. So I thought that was a defining moment 
in winning and losing, but uh, it was still a great takeaway, and our guys are uh, are very, very focused on what we have to do going into this weekend. Coach, we had Fee on the show last week. Talk uh, not just about his evolution in general, but right now, uh, you know, if I'm the team playing FSU and you're scouting FSU, A, it's got to be challenging because you're so deep, uh, and there's so many other guys that if you focus on taking away player A and B, then player C and D uh, you know, can contribute. That said, I would assume that most teams are going to start by saying we got to we got to limit twenty five. So, how do you I'll go ahead? I'll let you jump in. My my question is, you know, as he tries to recognize the double, you know, take what they're giving you and find the open guy. If you're doubled, as compared to if you're singled up, then just you know, spin and go. You no, know, and that's and that's a, the the next learning curve that that Fiondi's got to go through uh, is being at the top of the scouting report now, where people are sending extra people in your way to block you out where he's a terrific offensive rebounder and gets a lot of second chance points uh, in his statistical uh, stat sheet for a game. And then, uh, you know, now he's getting some double teams running him where he's always kind of had uh, kind of space to operate and kind of can figure a few things out. And uh, this is a growing process where he's got to learn how to make the right basketball play and not let frustration come in by saying, well, uh, I've got to make this play. I've been playing well. My team's counting on me. I'm getting better, and not letting anxiety start become part of his game, and uh, and, and allow other statistics and, and, and let things run through you that maybe leads to other people being the uh, uh, the point producer until the other team has to adjust. And I've really been trying to uh, you know to, you know share with him one of the biggest games that turned Tony Douglas into not just being a good college player but into a pro prospect was. His senior year here, when we played Florida at home, and Billy Donovan you know, decided that Florida State couldn't win if they double teamed Tony every time he got the ball, that the other players couldn't deliver. And, and Tony scored two points that night. And the next day, every NBA scout that was at the game, their organization was calling, you know, doing background checks on Tony because he made the right basketball plays and uh, and allowed his team to win by making such great decisions. And you know, that's something uh, Fee's got, to, and he's good at this on watching film and. And letting you explain things to him because he's very bright and he, he he's got a basketball sense about him, so uh, he's he's got to learn to make this uh, adaption in his game because it's, you know when you're when you're the guy to, the other team's singling out first when they're talking to their team in practice today, uh, you you've got to be able to have some counters and some uh, and some recognition of things that allow your team to continue to have an offense that doesn't stagnate and and, and allow some other guys to carry the weight for a little bit. Coach, talk about the young freshman a little bit. And, I mean, obviously Vassell, who hit the big shot. He's hit a lot of big shots, but the big one against Virginia Tech. But Raquan Gray, he he's showing more and more flashes of what his ability uh, truly is. I mean, to me, he's got really quick, strong hands. He's deceivingly quick for his size, which we all say and is kind of cliche. But he's got a good skill set, too. Yes, he does. He's starting to gain a lot of confidence, and uh, he's starting to be a guy that's uh, you know, the thing he's really doing, and I thought he was a big, big play in the Virginia game because uh, it's hard to turn him over, but he's, he's getting to really recognize scouting reports and anticipating defensive plays that, that, that knock away and it led to him getting a breakaway dunk in the Virginia game kind of uh, took the spirit out of the Virginia team at that point in the game as they were trying to rally. And, uh, you know, those plays are invaluable to, to winning big at this time of the year and uh, very excited to see his continued development. He's going to be a big big uh big part of the game tomorrow uh with uh you know they have a very good player that's an undersized kind of big that can score a lot of points in number three anthony lamb and 
they'll they'll road him through. They'll play small and they'll put him in a lot of situations where. And he's a very strong, low center of gravity guy that we're going to need. Uh, Turks, which is his nickname, uh, Raekwon's uh, versatility and his low center of gravity and and, and lower body strength to help keep uh, Lamb off of his plot. So uh, I think uh, you, you'll see him in some pretty uh, unique situations uh, in our rotations tomorrow. Speaking of Lamb and obviously speaking of Vermont, educate us. What, what are a couple of three things we want to start looking for when that ball game starts? Well, you know, they, they're they a team that's got a championship pedigree. Uh, they got some amazing statistics. You know, in the last three years in the America East, uh, they're like 45-3 and three in regular season play. Uh, they've been to the, the NCAA tournament two of the last three years. Uh, the head coach there, he's in his eighth year. Is averaging like 24 wins a season over his eight years as being the Division One head coach. Uh, so they have winning in their DNA. So as the old uh, Houston Rockets coach Rudy Tomjanovich said, you never underestimate the heart of a champion. So we're going to have to to really be geared up on a team that's going to be mature. They got two 24 year olds in the starting lineup. They're going to be older. They're experienced. Um, they they can shoot the ball from three. Anthony Lamb can do a lot of things on the floor. He can. He can get you in post mismatches. He can take you out on the floor and make threes. Uh, he can put you in isolations at the top of the key and draw a lot of fouls. He gets a lot of uh, free throw efficiency and usage numbers uh, in his stat line. Uh, and then they got the, you know a lot of guys around him that can make shots. If you're not doing uh, your job with your energy and your length and your athleticism against these guys, we've, we've got to get them out of their comfort zone in this in the type of pace that they want to play and the type of tempo they want to have in the half court and we've got to really our, our defense has got to really really be on point and uh, and and our length has got to bother them because they're not an extremely tall team i mean they've only got uh two guys over six six and, and both of those guys are young guys uh for them so they, they got a six eight and a six nine guy and they're going to start six six and six five at the, what we would traditionally call the post positions and so we've got to we've got to really be uh, flying around the court, and we got to be challenging shots, and we've got to make them uncomfortable with our size and our depth and our athleticism. How, how do you balance, Stan? And I know this is a game to game thing, and even a minute to minute thing within the game. But how do you balance? You know, you going big and making trying to draw them to you versus they've went small. And now you got to match them. How does that chess match work out for you? Well, even though they're a little smaller, they got a couple guys that even you know sometimes with with, uh, with Big Chris, you know, you, you get worried about that that they're going to have guys that are too good of shooters or too good of ball handlers for him to be an effective player. I think there's going to be some some spots into him to be a real difference maker uh, in the game tomorrow, but just because they're not they, they're not used to seeing somebody that that long and that tall, and uh, we're, we're going to need to play to that and, and put him in some situations where. He can catch the ball in spots where they don't have anybody that can stop him from catching it at that spot. And I'm talking about in, in holes above them, not holes on the ground. Uh, so he, he's got to be able to go up there and, and, and secure the ball and then, and then finish the play. And then also, obviously, we got to use, he's got to be very effective on allowing our other guys to push out on shooters uh, So and, and, and being a great rim protector and shot alterer tomorrow in the. And, and really getting those uh, those guys uncomfortable coming in the lane, knowing that his big hands back there uh, protecting that basket and, and giving them a look they're not comfortable with seeing. 
Stan, we'll wrap up. You said they have two 24-year-olds, and you've got Kofer. That's got to be some sort of record, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Our, our 2012 team may, may, may trump all that, but I don't think any of us ever catch the old BYU teams of, of, uh, of years when they've had the guys coming back off of missions yeah, good. And, uh, and drawing Social Security checks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Stan, I always look forward to our once – a year conversation, sometimes twice, you know, depending on who stands me up, but I appreciate it. Well, you know, I love talking basketball. I appreciate you guys' support of our program over the years. As much as we can talk basketball, we want to keep, uh, like my dad, who's a pastor being on an evangelistic field, we want to try to convert as many people as we can to want to come do the chop and cheer the Florida State basketball team on and keep the Tucker Center one of the hardest places to play in the country. And, uh, and get behind these kids because we got a great bunch of kids that represent Florida State uh, in the most elite ways, both on and off the court. Congratulations on uh, the terrific season thus far. We know we've got uh, a lot of season left, so best of luck uh, and keep it going. Keep us keep us going mad here during March, Stan. Yeah, we would, we'd like to play for quite a while longer here. Hopefully, hopefully we can uh, make this thing happen. All right, Stan Jones, associate head coach, uh, longtime Thanks, assistant with uh, Leonard Hamilton. We appreciate him joining us as always. The backstory there is he always gives us a hard time when we when we call and invite him on the show. He says, "Oh, who who canceled out on you that you're calling me?" <laughs> <laughs> he is he is probably as consistent and steady. Uh, I mean, if, if there you, sometimes we you hear the the term the associate head coach and the assistant head coach, and those are terms that are just given. He truly is. I mean, if you ever watch during the game, Leonard does a lot of work, but during the huddles and during the timeouts, you know, Stan's usually the one with the whiteboard that's doing the X's and O's. And uh, he had the Virginia uh, game scout, yeah. scout for the Virginia game, and I thought that offensively, Florida State took it to another level in order to beat the Cavaliers. Not taking anything away from CY or Dennis, but uh, Stan, Stan is all that and then some. And and I will remind our listeners that Stan, no relation, Jones. <laughs> and when we get on the nobody, plane, nobody it's become was... a it's become a ritual. When we get on the plane, I walk. The, the team always gets on first. Coaches are always on. I get. I walk by. Uh, morning or afternoon, depending on what morning, cuz morning, cuz afternoon, cuz afternoon, cuz. That's my cousin. Stan Jones. He this is not a perfect parallel and we'll wrap up this segment and get Tim Linefeld on. <clears throat> uh, and and I don't know, I've not had the conversation with him, but I'm sure he wanted to be a head coach and probably still wants to be a head coach, but he's been the right-hand man for Leonard so long. And you it's know, 24 at, years I believe. And, and as you get older, uh, quite frankly, you're not as appealing. You're not the young, shiny new uh shock smarter whoever it is out there to go get a job. Which is not to say there aren't head jobs he could get. Certainly there are head jobs he could get. Uh, but what I was going to say is it reminds me a little bit of Mickey Andrews, who was a longtime assistant, and so he now different. I mean, Stan's probably more polished, as you just heard, than maybe what Mickey was. Uh, maybe Mickey didn't have the demeanor to be the head coach, but, I mean, they've been the right-hand man for a, a guy that's had some success. There are guys that the head coach can trust, and you don't ever have to go behind and see, are they doing their job, and are they doing it well? Because you know what the performance is going to be. Speaking of which... Tim Linnefeld checks some of those boxes, and he'll join us next on Front Row Knowles. Two out of three ain't bad. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
Welcome back to Front Row Knowles, March Madness edition. As we reopen that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, we say hello to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Tim, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. It's it's changed the last couple of years. We used to spend March. We'd talk a lot of baseball. We'd talk some spring football. But now, when when the going's good on the hardwood, we just talk all hoops all the time. I'm, I, I enjoy it, man. I'm, I'm all about it. It's a... Uh... March Madness is awesome, and it's even more awesome when you actually uh, get to be a part of it and are a participant. So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun for me, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to be, uh, I, in some small way, I guess, uh, a part of the ride again and to, uh, to be able to be here for it. Well, and we're glad to have you on uh, as the Knowles will play tomorrow in Hartford against Vermont. We just had Stan Jones on and talked a lot of X's and O's with him. Uh, what I didn't ask him, but I'll ask you, uh, how's that for a setup? I like it. What makes it madness is that you just don't know. And so, unfortunately, we'll all be sweating for all two hours that game takes to play tomorrow unless Florida State ha- you know, plays with a 20-point lead. But that's generally not the way this works. So that can be fun, but it's also harrowing. And, unfortunately, if you come up on the wrong end, then you know we pass judgment based on that 40 minutes of basketball instead of the body of work over the season. But I guess that all gets rolled into to what is March Madness. Yeah, well, that's the deal, right? I mean, you know, right, you, you see it from Florida State's perspective, but I mean, look at Virginia, right? Uh, you know, there was a one seed last year that lost to the number sixteen, and they've been followed around by questions about that uh, all year. And you can bet that uh, that they'll be uh, watched with a close eye uh, this year, not just in the first round and beyond. And it's just, you know, that's that's the nature of this sport. The tournament's awesome, but uh, you know, in a lot of ways, fairly or unfairly, uh, it's it's defined. Uh, by the tournament. And so, uh, you know, I think it's just sort of the way the the sport is designed. It's really fun. It's really exciting. But, yeah, certainly uh, when when it's your team's time to play or certainly if you're a coach, I mean, that's that's quite a knot in your stomach, right? I thought it was also very interesting. Our listeners may not know, may not realize, but uh, Virginia lost to that number 16 at the same – the same arena, arena yeah. that Florida State beat them, and yeah. uh, and uh, so the last couple of times they've been there, it hasn't uh, fared well for them, so to speak. No, no, I think they're uh, they're pretty happy to uh, say goodbye to Charlotte for a little while. I don't know, maybe the the sight lines in the arena just don't agree with them. I don't know. So the ACC this year, we talk about it being the best conference out there, and the way it breaks down, you get three number one seeds. So obviously, it's really really good, but it appears based on who's in the the field. That's a little bit of top, heavy, a little top heavy. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on the state of the conference overall? Because on the one hand, you know, here's I guess really what I'm driving at is uh, you can make a pretty good case that Florida State should have been a higher seed, but you can also make a case that maybe there's just a lot of dead weight at the bottom of the ACC this year. Well, I, you know, it's actually I'm glad you brought that up. It's really kind of strange to me, and I think a lot of folks are sort of scratching their heads at the uh, the criteria for the tournament because having three number one seeds obviously speaks to the uh, the strength of the ACC, and I think we all agree, having watched so much ACC basketball, that it's a really, really good conference. It's not just teams beating up on each other. You watch the players in it, and you know, I mean, those are quality teams, quality players. Uh, but then for having three number one seeds, it doesn't really seem like uh, that extended any grace to the, the teams that played against those teams. I mean, you saw, I mean, forget Florida State for a second, and you saw NC State and Clemson both miss the field. Uh, Florida State, Virginia Tech, uh, you know, not maybe get the seeds that they wanted. Florida State in particular, I think we all kind of thought would be a higher seed. So it's odd to me that the committee put so much value in the ACC, but didn't then consider that, you know, when you're, when you're looking at Clemson and NC State, you're like, hey, 
these guys played in a conference with three number one seeds. I mean, Florida State's lost seven games this year. Four of them uh, are to teams that uh, that had number one seeds, and uh, I don't know how much that served to benefit them uh, come selection time. And one of them's to the defending national champs. I think the biggest thing with FSU that the losses at Pitt and BC, if those had been losses on the road at Clemson or at NC State. Uh, then maybe that seed is higher. But because they were Pitt and BC who are much further down. But, you know, at the end of the day, we, the seed doesn't matter at this point. You've got to win games. And, uh, you know, regardless of the draw, crazy things can happen. You give a team some hope. Next thing you know, you're at the under four in the second half, and it's a one-possession game. So what do you? What does Florida State need to do? Uh, well, even even backing up from that, how much do you think it helps Florida State that all these guys, most of them anyway, have had tournament success both last week in Charlotte and last year in the tournament. I think it does for sure. I mean, you look at uh, certainly the veterans, uh, you know, Trent Forrest, Terrence Mann, Chris Kamaji. I mean, this is their third straight NCAA tournament. They've been on both sides of the madness, if you will. I mean, they were, they were part of the group that was upset by Xavier two years ago, but they were also part of the group that upset three straight teams uh, or Posted upset wins at least according to seed uh, in three straight games a year ago. So you know they they've been on both sides of, of the way this thing can go. I think having that experience is a good thing. I think you also have a group that um, they've shown time and again, even in that Duke game, that if there are some you know jitters early on or things don't go their way early on, which can sometimes happen in in this type of uh, setting, they don't panic. You know they don't uh, they don't start playing outside themselves. They don't shy away from the game plan or, or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, there's a group that knows how to take a deep breath and, and kind of collect itself and, and keep on fighting. Even in that Duke game, obviously uh, they lost, but they had opportunities to get back in it and did get back in it for uh, for a little while there and, you know, had some shots fallen. Maybe it's a different game. Um, I do think that experience is really valuable, particularly when, you know, you're running on that floor for the first time in a, an NBA-style arena. I know Harper doesn't have an NBA team, but that's kind of the way these things are played. Um, and you know that that stage and, and those lights can, if you're not experienced, uh, I think can uh, can cause some problems. But this this group shouldn't have any issue with that. And sometimes it's the little things. Stan uh, Jones shared with us that though Florida State and Vermont have not played, they've only played once, I think, in what 1976. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but David Nichols has played them seven times during his career at Albany. Yep. And so he can relay information player to player uh about what's going on and what to expect and sometimes it's those little things that give you the edge uh, that you're always looking for no i think that absolutely helps and you know it's kind of a a weird quirk of it but you're right uh you know david Nichols knows exactly what these guys are on the table and it's not like it's you know long ago experience either he said he had some literally last year uh while at albany so uh yeah i can i'll bet that uh, he's gonna be a uh, popular guy in the in film study this uh this week but and then the tournament is kind of you know littered with little things like that and, and kind of things that uh, you know would seem like coincidences that just sort of come up that when you have that many combinations of, of teams and matchups. Okay, let's move off the court. We have to talk football. It's in the bylaws, so uh, especially when spring practice is going on. What's the latest uh, from out at the practice fields? Well, yeah, uh, you know that uh, that they're actually off this week at spring break, so they uh, they have taken a bit of a. But I mean, uh, I mean, since last we chatted, Tim, what's, what's no? I know. I'm just letting people know where things. All are. right. <laughs> uh, well, the first and foremost, uh, they, the the last practice uh, of the spring was a, uh, a team scrimmage, or last practice of the, I guess the first half of the spring, if you will, was a team scrimmage that they were able to get out and 
kind of simulate some game stuff. I was in Charlotte for that, but our uh, our buddy Lane Hurt uh, was there, and you know, it sounds like Willie Taggart was uh, was was pretty pleased with what he saw. I think you know, in, in spring, um, it's it's kind of the overall theme is that you know you're kind of working on you know baseline type stuff, fundamentals, foundational type stuff that you can then build on when you're going into uh, into fall. Uh, but I think what you want right now uh, is a little bit of back and forth, um, and I think you would like to see, you know, your offense making some plays and making some things happen. Uh, I think especially during spring, um, you know, the defenses tend to be a little further ahead because they can sort of read and react and maybe rely on their athleticism a little bit more, whereas the offense has to, you know, get things in sync and, and get things lined up and understand the plays and the playbook, whereas the defense can get by a little bit more without that initially. So. Um, from what I've been able to gather is that that's kind of the way it was for the first you know, week, week and a half or so. The defense was pretty far out in front. And remember that the offense was also working with a new coordinator, new receivers coach, and new offensive line coach. But uh, from what we've been able to gather and, and see a little bit too is that uh, you know by you know the middle of the second week and the second week, you start seeing the uh, the offense fight back a little bit. Um, you know maybe not have completely dominant practices, but you know getting guys open, making plays getting in rhythm and getting that tempo up to speed and putting the defense on their heels a little bit. Um, you know, you're starting to see hints of that um, more so uh, than probably at this point last year, maybe even uh, at some points uh, in the fall. So uh, I think that comes with, you know, I know it's a, it's a, a different, not a completely different offense, but it's a different coordinator and there's different terminology and whatnot, but the players by and large, all the ones who were here last year, at least know, what it feels like to run tempo and they know kind of what the expectation is for when they're moving fast and that sort of thing. Whereas, you know, last year, 12 months ago at this time, they had virtually no idea. So I do think you're seeing some uh, advances in that regard. I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that the women's basketball team is in the tournament too, as I bounce uh, back away from football, they play on uh, Friday. And I, to me, the bigger story here and, and, and well, I, maybe Sue wouldn't appreciate me putting it this way because her team's six games away from winning a national title. But to, to me, when you look at everything they lost and turning over a whole starting lineup and losing five seniors and, and two of your assistants, the story with this team is for them to be in the tournament for a 14th time out of 15 years and to have earned a five seed. Uh, and they'll play Bucknell on uh, Friday at 4 o'clock. I mean, I just can't get over the, the job that she was able to do this year. I completely agree, and – you, you sort of hit the nail on the head when you said, look, I mean, the expectation that that program has established is making a tournament year in, year out, and they've met that standard. But I think, you know, from a, an observer's perspective or an outsider's perspective, you would have looked at, like you said, everything they lost last year with the, as young as they are, uh, new starters everywhere, new contributors everywhere. You would have said, look, if, if they were to miss the tournament this year, it would be a bummer. But nobody would say, oh, you know, that's a huge disappointment uh, because or that they didn't meet expectations just because of the way the roster fell. So the fact that, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's like they were, uh, you know, on the bubble or not like they were crossing their fingers during the selection show. They knew they were in. I mean, they beat beat Iowa. They beat NC State. Both those teams in the top ten held their own in the ACC, uh, which is always is a diff- difficult conference between NC State, and Louisville, Notre Dame, some of those top programs. Um, you know, to me, it, it, it really reflects – extremely extremely well uh, on Sue Semrau and, and her staff that I mean that they've just maximized everything and then when you think about the implications for the future and with this group that they have as young as they are if, if this is what you were able to do and obviously it's not done yet but if this is what you were able to do this year um, you know it's kind of a fun daydream to think about where they might be uh, a year down the road two years down the road and so on no Tom I am not going to ask him about baseball take your note back you ask him <laughs> 
Keith's been work. He's been sitting on that line all all uh, all show, and I didn't even ask him to, to ask you about baseball. Would you would like, you like to, to open? Talk, would you like to talk about baseball? No, actually, okay. we'll pick it up again. There'll be plenty of time to talk about baseball. No, we- I, think, I think so too. Well, well, one thing, really quick, I do think it was uh, an encouraging sign for them to bounce back and, and get that win in the third game at NC State, just to kind of generate some positive momentum. And I know it was a frustrating week for everybody, but I would also offer that uh, they're probably not going to play too many teams. Uh, as talented as NC State in a weekend series again anytime soon. I would agree. There you go. And I would add, and I didn't watch any of Saturday's game, but really after what had happened against Florida and then Friday night, they were in position to win that game on Saturday. Really, they're a pitch away from winning that series if they don't give right. up the home run, which and NC State's pretty good. Okay, we said we were going to talk baseball, but we did anyway. Tim, uh, enjoy Hartford. I hear it's lovely this time of year. I hope I hope you get to stay there for uh, for a few more days after tomorrow. And and Florida State is still playing on on Saturday. Yeah, I'm hope so too. Did you know that Mark Twain lived in Hartford and go check out his house. I did not know that. Hey, here's yeah. s- side note, and you may have already done this, and it may have already been featured on Seminoles.com. So if so, I apologize. But I've noticed that the Seminole sound gets quite the cult following when they go to the ACC tournament because every all all the sta- all the Tar Heel State media. The highlight for them from the bands and the cheerleaders and all that, it's it's definitely the seminal sound. So I think go you, every time, every year. Is it the same at the NCA show? I mean, do they just steal the show there too? They they do, but it's a little bit different uh, because of the way the tournaments are set up and the way the fan bases are uh, are set up. You know, a lot of uh, times in the ACC, uh, the media there is seeing seminal sound for the second, third, or fourth time. Whereas uh, you know now you've got teams from all over the country, so they might say like, "Oh man, these guys are really good," but then. And you get to see him for an hour or two, and then it's it's over. But uh, but we'll see if they catch on. They typically do. Yeah. The other point there is that, uh, frankly, it can be a little sterile in the NCAA environment. Sometimes, Sometimes. everything gets a little overmanaged. Hey, Tim. Uh, great job as always. Uh, enjoy Hartford. We'll catch up next week. You got it, guys. Thanks. Our Seminoles dot com insider Tim Linnefeld. You can't even bring a a cup out to the radio row there unless it's got the right logo on it am i right sir you are correct yes exactly right it's kind of like this show if you don't have the right logo then we can't do business with you something like that's not actually true just give us a call you can call <laughs> keith you can call me even if you don't have a logo if you see me at the store just stop me and say hey can i jump on board come back and finish up front row knolls after this Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles. KJ, let's dream a little bit. Let's let's talk about the final four. The goal, the goal is Minneapolis, right? That's the new goal. I'm going to give this the disclaimer. I've done this for the College World Series, which I've been fortunate enough to be out there many times. If you're a baseball fan, particularly college baseball fan, but baseball in general, don't wait for FSU to be there. Just go. Plan the trip. Go the first weekend from Friday to Monday or Tuesday. Four or five nights is enough. You've seen all teams play. There's eight fan bases there. You've gotten some steak. You've seen what there is to see in Omaha. There's a dessert place you got to go to, right? Yep, you got to go to Zesto's. Uh, You can go to the zoo. There's golf courses out there. It's hot and flat. It's Omaha. It's the center of the country. That said, it's worth doing. Same for the Final Four. I've gone to two Final Fours, uh, one in New Orleans. 
which I don't even remember if they were playing basketball at the time, but I was in New Orleans for no, they were they were the Final Fours at the Superdome and one in St. Louis. And similar experience. The, the great part is, so you roll in Thursday or Friday, and you have four fan bases, and everybody's got optimism and confidence going. And it's just a good experience. Then it builds up to the Saturday games. Now, after the Saturday semifinal, as soon as the first team is eliminated, they're all selling their championship game tickets to people that are walking in. You know, that's the way it works. So by by Sunday and Monday, it's not as fun as the first two. But same type deal. When it's close by, when you want to go, get tickets. And I say get tickets because the NCAA actually does a lottery for this. It's sort of like the Masters where you can get your name in there and at some point you'll go see a practice round. Well, the way I went, two out of three years, buddy and me actually won the lot, the, the right to buy tickets. Now, here's the kicker to this story. Still worth going. So what they do with the court, they play it in a football stadium, but they don't center it up in the football no, stadium. it's in an end zone sideways. Yeah, it's in an end zone sideways. And the cheap seats that you get from the lottery are not only up top, but they're as far away physically. So I'm in the Superdome, and I paid 20 bucks to get binoculars. And literally, this is what happens. So you're watching the game. And the action stops, and four seconds later, you hear the whistle blow in your ear, if that makes sense. I mean, that's how far removed you are from it. But again, I think they still offer the lottery. It's worth going. If you've already bought your ticket to Minneapolis, congratulations. You're really optimistic. But no, it it is worth going. And know that uh, one... uh Thomas William Block and one William Keith Jones has been to, to, to Minneapolis. We needed Ron for this trip, and we'll finish the show with this. Ron is our good friend at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, who he would have educated on this. But anyway, they take care of all your power tool needs. They could have helped with some heating. I have no no doubt. Oh, they have heaters. Yeah, no doubt in my mind. But they're at 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. You can reach them at 580-1200 or at ctf.nu. This is a perfect segue because this actually, this story so, happened in Minneapolis. So Florida State's playing Minnesota. We had a day off. One Mr. Block, one Mr. Jones wants to go to the Mall of the Americas. Country boys go to big city in the middle of winter. I'm not a country boy. We you're the one the from Wildwood. Well, you're in Tallahassee now. We took the t- hotel shuttle as far as it would take us, which was downtown. Let and, me give and a and disclaimer. the mall is on the other side. Quick disclaimer. This was well before Uber. Yes. This would have been a $180 cab ride oh, from no where question. we were. So we get out downtown. It's 16 degrees, and we're not dressed for it. We're trying to find the bus schedule to take the bus from downtown to the Mall of the Americas. We finally find out what we're supposed to do. We're standing in this little shelter waiting for the bus to come. We've been standing there for minutes, and we're freezing in this little shelter. And this little lady walks in. Go ahead. Watch your time. Go ahead. You finish it. The the little lady walks in. And we're shivering. We're shaking. We're just two guys in a shelter waiting for a bus. And she gives us the most incredulous look in the world and reaches over and presses the big red button on the side of the shelter. And immediately the heater comes on and we're all warm and toasty. And then the bus shows up 12 seconds later. Exactly. Yeah. But but what you forgot is that we saw, we had identified that it was a red button. We clearly had seen the red button. We thought it was a panic button in case something was happening, sort of like the blue light trail on Florida State's campus. So we stared at the red button but did not push said red button. I just never will forget the incredulous look on this lady's face. We had a good you two idiots. Yeah, well, we get that a lot. We had a good time at Mall of America, as I, I do recall, and that was several years ago, and we were not dressed warm. No. Keith, uh, enjoy uh, Hartford. Stay there and don't come back until Saturday night or Sunday. 
Will do. And then pack for Anaheim. Thank you. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you again next week on Front Row Knowles.